Aren't you glad that the uh, love of Jesus never runs out? Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for your endless reserve of love, your grace, your kindness, your patience. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. We ask, oh Father, that you would continue to operate in our hearts in such a way that we will respond to you in love. We know your love doesn't run out, but oh God, we fail you so miserably and we just ask that you would cause our love to never run out on you. Would you shape our hearts, shape our lives, help us, oh Father. We pray today, Father, with great thanksgiving that you have given to us your word. And Lord, I pray that we might be committed to your word and, and understand, Father, that it's in your word you show us the truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. So we praise you, we thank you, we honor you, we love you. And Lord, uh, we thank you now for your word. I pray that you'd help us to open up our minds and hearts to respond and receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to um, suggest that we live in a confusing world is to state the obvious. More particularly, the confusion that reigns among us has to do with who we are as humans, particularly in the area of human identity. I suspect that most of us are shaking our heads almost on a daily basis, whether we look at social media or we turn on the television or we stand at the water cooler and have some discussion about who people are. I suspect as Christians we've come to the place where we are, we are pretty um, astounded at the shape of things. One of the challenges I think that we face in the marketplace, in particular as we are mandated to be disciple makers, is to somehow come to terms with the fact that all around us, people are defining humanity based on its brokenness. Now, you wouldn't do that in any other industry at all. I mean, whether it's repairing cars or wiring your house or whatever, no one would say, well, yeah, the car's wrecked, but, but that's the new standard for how cars will be. So as we train new mechanics, let's just take a wrecked car, a broken car, and we'll tell them, that's it. Let's just, so let's just explain cars by way of the identity of a broken car. That's going to be the new standard. Or, or we wouldn't do that in, in wiring our house or in, in anything you can imagine, but, but for some reason, we are settling in culture with the idea that we can define humanity on the basis of its brokenness. That its brokenness will be the standard now of its identity. You need to accept me the way I am because this is the way I should be. But that's not true. Like I said, we don't do that in any other industry. So why would we do it with humanity? So to, to discover the issue of making disciples, we, we need to know, well, who is a human? How do you define a human? What's the distinct mark of a human and the only place that makes any sense to get that is to like a mechanic would go back to the book or the 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 design of the car and say this is how the car needs to function 
we likewise need to go to God's word and say, hey, from the creator, the designer, how, how do we define the identity of humanity? So I would invite you this morning to, does it make sense actually? So I would invite you this morning to go to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we have there for us a presentation of the design of humanity. Something really amazing happened on day six of creation. Something spectacular, in fact, happened on day six. It was the creation of humans. I want to look specifically today at um, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26 to 28. That's where we're going to key on this morning. We'll look at a few other places in Scripture, but that's where I want to key. And we want to, we want to uh, investigate and go on a journey this morning to discover the identity of humans. What is the human identity? What's the central truth of the human identity? Today, what God's Word says about design, what God's Word says about value, what God's Word says about responsibilities, in light of who we are as humans. An exciting part of this story is, while we are broken and fallen and sinful, Jesus has declared in his word, I can fix that. The good news, I mean, that's what the good news, and we talk about the gospel, when we're talking about the good news, the good news is the identity that God has given to us that has been covered over and buried with layers of sinfulness and brokenness can be fixed through his transforming work in our lives. He takes us back to the original blueprint and says, this is who you are. This is what I can make of you. The rest of society may settle on identifying human beings on the basis of their brokenness, but that's not Christianity. That's not discipleship. That's not who we are. I was listening to a a, a small excerpt of a sermon from Ravi Zacharias on a text in Mark 12 where Jesus was confronted by the leaders at the time who were trying to trick him uh, on the basis of the politics of paying tax. You, you know the story. You remember when they came to him and said, is it lawful for us to pay uh, Caesar taxes? And, and uh, remember what he said. He said, uh, bring me a denarius. I don't have a denarius, I have a loony. I, you know, I think denarius is a better word than loony. Denarius was actually a one day's wage, so it was a fairly valuable coin. I brought a loony here today. Jesus said to them, uh, bring me this denarius, and he said, what's, uh, what's stamped on it? It's the image on it. Whose image do you see? And they said, Caesar, we say, who do we see? Whose image do we see? Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth is stamped on the coin. So Jesus said, give to Queen Elizabeth what is Queen Elizabeth's. But inferred was, whose stamp do you see on your life? Render unto God what is God's. So whose image is on you? Well, 
look at the text. Verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We'll leave it right there this morning. We want to um, ask a few questions of the text. Number one, how should uh, that stamp of God that is declared here, that is on us, the image of God, whose image do you see, the stamp of God, how should that shape our lives? How, how should that shape the influence of our lives around, uh, among those around us? Made in God's image, what does that really mean? Well, I want to look today at what the text says, what the blueprint says. Let's go back to the model. Let's Let's not, let's not fix our gaze on brokenness and ruined things and sinful things, but let's fix our gaze on the original model, the original design today. From the scriptural perspective of these things, let's investigate how, <coughs> excuse me, how God chose to expand his, the impact of his glory through the creature that he made and called Adam. Adam means man or mankind, right? And I really want to cover two major questions with you this morning. So you know there's point one and point two. You'll know when I'm near the end. Point one, point two. But there's lots of sub points. Point one is going to be this. What does it mean to be made in God's image? There's a lot of confusion out there. And there's a lot of confusion, confusing teaching on purpose on that question, and we'll get there. And the second question is, how does being made in God's image shape a disciple? Okay, those two questions. What does it mean to be made in God's image? And how does being made in God's image shape your life or shape a disciple? So let's just dig in. How, how God chose to expand the, the impact of his glory. Uh, look, I, I want to highlight this with you this morning. The central truth about humans is that we are made in God's image in his likeness, right? That is the central truth of humanity. We are made in God's image. And the follow-up word, his likeness, is really not so much a different word as it is to describe or reinforce image. We are made in the image of God, his likeness. The word image is tselem, tselem. T-S-E-L-E-M. It's a Hebrew word which means, um, uh, well, it means image. But, but uh, the description, that, that word was used when kings of the ancient Near East would, for instance, build a, a structure and, and, and engrave in it a likeness of themselves, all right? It would be called a tselem. 
the image of the king. And kings regularly, of course, in the ancient Near East, claimed to be uh, in the image of God. Kings were the tselem of God, even if they did not respect the living God. The emphasis, though, is that this image idea, this likeness of God, is not in what God looks like to our eyes, because God is spirit, but rather who God is and what he has given to us. And I, I intend to spend the rest of our time together to, to unpackage that so you, under, so you can see what it means to be made in God's image. Uh, by the way, the emphasis as well is on special creative work of God. I, I'm going to say up front, you're not going to be surprised by this, but uh, any notion or idea of, of an evolutionary process cannot be found in the scriptures. The scriptures, do, that, that's a, that has to be found outside of the scriptures. And I'm, I'm teaching you the scriptures. So I'm just simply telling you that the design that you find here, you, you can't find an evolutionary progressive kind of idea. What you find is special creation. What you find is specific creation. And quite frankly, what you find in the creation of man is quite unique. I, I want you to note, if you turn back in your Bibles to Genesis 1, chapter, verse 20, you will see uh, uh, what God says there in distinction to uh, how I'm going to lead up to the creation of man. It says in verse 20, let the water teem with living creatures. This is the declaration of God. God speaks and it is. But I want you to notice the, the, the difference between what God says and how he speaks. Let the water teem with living creatures. Now look at verse 24. God said, let the land produce living creatures. But when you get to verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. You see the difference there? The difference between what he declared in the creation of fish, what he declared in the creation of animals, and what he declares in the creation of mankind. It's a distinct, special, creative emphasis, a distinctness within creation between the other creatures and man. The intentional design of man. Let us make man. Now, I want to pause here for a moment in this whole let us make man. There's been a lot of uh, ink spilled on the idea of what does this mean. Some suggest that it's the idea of a divine council where, where God gets together with angels and uh, discusses creation and all that. I don't find that very compelling because in Isaiah 40, verse 14, it says, Who has been your counsel? So there, there's really no sense here where God takes counsel with the angels. Uh, others have said, well, this whole Elohim ref reference to the, the to, uh, plural reference to God is, is a plural of his majesty. I, I'm kind of a simple guy. To be honest with you, I take a look at the scriptures and I say, What, what does this probably mean? Let us make man in our image. And I, I jump over to the New Testament and the progressive revelation of God and what's been handed out to us. And I notice that Jesus talks in John 14, 17, and 23 about we and our when he's referring to the Father and himself. I have no reason to believe, I have no reason to believe other than that this is an early explanation or an Old Testament reference to a triune God. Let us make man in our image. The, the fellowship of the Godhead expands his love to creation. I don't see why we wouldn't go there. The fullness of God is later revealed throughout the scriptures. Scriptures interpret scripture. So why wouldn't we allow the New Testament to tell us what the Old Testament is saying? 
So I go there. Notice here, let us make man male and female. I want to talk about that. In our image. And then I notice in the text three times the word created. God created man. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So if you ask the question of the Bible, how did we come to be? God created us. This is not rocket science, people. People try to make this rocket science, but it's not. God simply tells us he created us. Intentional design. But, but in this design, the description here is God created man. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And the word Adam there is one humanity. Let us make one humanity, but that will be constituted in two parts. One humanity, two parts. The male mankind and the female mankind. And both parts of the mankind will have the image and likeness of God. There's only two parts to mankind. There's the male mankind and there's the female mankind. And that's all there is. And forevermore they will be the complement to each other. And the only complement to each other of this thing called humankind. That's the presentation here of the design. Anything else is broken. Anything else is defiled. Anything else is sinful. Anything else is, is, is under layers of sin and, and brokenness. But this is the design. It would be two-part, male and female. It would be binary. Eve would be drawn from Adam. Eve, the female mankind, would be drawn out of Adam so as, as part of, um, of humanity as a whole. So there's a distinction made here, a complete distinction made here between man and animals in terms of creation, but there is not a distinction made between male and female in terms of image. Do you see that? Zakar is the male man, not, not the postman, but the, the male man is Zakar. <laughs> and and the, the, the Nakaba is the female man, okay, the Male mankind, the female mankind. That's, that's the design. And these two would be the prototype for discipleship of the world. But we're going to get into that in a few moments. They're, they're only alternative. The male kind and the female kind would be the only kind that can be the disciple-making kind. That's how it works. That's the presentation here. So, um, we have, uh, by the way, in the idea of image, image, not the likeness physically to God, because God is spirit, but likeness, spiritual likeness, certain attributes of God, his moral attributes, his rational attributes, um, his cognitive attributes. These are the things that, that are part and parcel of image. Because after all, we share in the structure physically of much of the animal kingdom, which is where the rocket scientists of this world like to go and suggest, aha, you're just a higher form of animals. That's not the presentation at all. The reason we share common structures with the animal kingdom physically is because of a common designer. 
But that's all we share in common with animals. After that, there's nothing we share in common with them because we are made in the image and likeness of God. Animals are not. Sorry to tell you that your dog doesn't have a spirit that can be saved by Christ. I'm sorry, I don't want to bring a damper to the moment, but that's just the way it is. So we have this spiritual likeness. By the way, we are not made, we are not to make images of God because he has already made images of himself and we are it. The commandment says that I shall not make graven images of God. Why? Because God has already made images of himself and we are it. And we are they, may be better stated. Humans occupy, therefore, a lofty, dignified position in the world. And any violent action against human beings, against mankind, is against God's representative image. It has to be taken very seriously. And and the the tragic reality, why today we're sitting before you and and, and, and having to urgently... uh, proclaim this truth and, and, and understand full well that many people in the world are, are not willing to accept this truth is because of the, the tragic event that happened in Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent comes along energized by Satan and, and offers to the first male and the first female what they already had. This is the great tragedy of the fall of humanity. Look, in, I'm sure it's open in your Bibles, chapter 3. In, in verse um, 4, it says, uh, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Stop right there. They already were like God. This is the, this is the great tragedy of Satan. He has nothing to offer you that you don't already have in Christ. He comes along and he offers them something they already had. They were already in the image and likeness of God. What he offers to them would be moral independence that you might know good and evil. They already, by virtue of being in the image and likeness of God were predisposed to tracking with the morality of God. That's the pristine reality of being made by God. Satan comes along and offers them moral independence so that they now could choose to assess themselves what is right and what is wrong. And from that point forward, mankind fell into sin and chooses most often what's wrong rather than what's right. And so they gained moral independence and lost their own souls. And today we, we, we gather together and we talk about this and we talk about our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues who are defining their identity by their brokenness rather than by their wholeness in Christ. Because Satan offered them what they already had with a twist to it. To release them 
from their moral dependence on God. Christ seeks to bring that back to us in our relationship with him. And uh, finally, the image of God is preserved in all mankind. By the way, just because mankind fell does not mean mankind is no longer in the image or likeness of God. Every single human being on the face of this globe, everyone in the process of being born on the face of this globe is, is in the image and likeness of God. Marred, sinful, broken, but in the image of God. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 this is after the fall. This is after the flood. This is, this is after the time of much sinfulness in mankind. And this declaration is made of God. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God has God made man. The image of God does not disappear because of sin. It is marred. It is Layered in sin, but it exists in every human being. So that's a little rundown of what does it mean to be made in God's image. But secondly, uh, what, how does being made in God's image shape a disciple? Crucial question. What, in other words, what being in God's image entails? What is God's intended purpose for man making man in his image after all. And, and I want to share with you three, there's three mandates that I think are found in this early design. This is the blueprint that we go back to and we look at all the time. We say, we're going to measure our lives against the true image of God. What's the blueprint? And, and there are three major facets of this blueprint. There's the divine mandate, there's the discipleship mandate, and there's the dominion mandate. Those three make up what it means to be in the image of God. We'll take them one at a time. But before I jump in there, I, I want to take a few moments, as I did with the first uh, group this morning, and uh, make some commentary on the state of affairs around us because um, I want you to notice something in the text because there are a number of people who are holding themselves out to be teachers of God's ways that are not teaching the truth about these matters. And there's a subtle shift that's going on around us that has to do with what I introduced this morning, which is starting to identify ourselves with our brokenness rather than our wholeness in Christ. And it's based upon a uh, rather um, uh, spurious definition of the uh, makeup of mankind. I want you to notice that in the text here, before... Mankind had done a single thing. They had not experienced anything. They had not been enculturated anywhere. Before mankind did a single thing, they were declared made in the image of God. You say, yeah, I see that. You see that? Then God said, let us make man in our image. So he created mankind in his image. They had not experienced a relationship. They had not found themselves into any cultural setting at all. Image is, image always precedes everything else. Image is not formed and forged by experience or by function. 
I'm going to clear this up. Just stay with me. Because in the marketplace of ideas right now, and not just in the marketplace of pagan ideas, but the marketplace of ideas that are creeping into the church, is presenting a notion of, of, of uh, human anthropology that is entirely out of line with biblical anthropology as found here in Genesis. And the suggestion in the marketplace is that there is a disconnect between my body and my personhood. You watch for it. In other words, human identity is being shaped by a, a culture of people who are saying that my body is not going to define my personhood. My personhood is entirely separate from my body. My anatomical structure is not going to dictate who I am. And there is this disconnect in the marketplace, and I said not just in the pagan marketplace, but in the church that is buying into this idea that body and spirit are divided. And the notion of this division does not appear in creation. I'm going to show you whereby the spirit and body are uniquely interwoven into the concept of image. This is critically important to our understanding of what it is. In other words, image in the marketplace is defined by who I think I am as opposed to who I am defined as by God's creation model. The homosexual community, the transgender movement, the abortion industry are all buying into this idea. And it's not a new idea. This is the same idea that came out of Platonic philosophy in Greek, Greece. This came out of Zor Zoroastrianism, out of Persia. This is, not, or this is Gnosticism, whereby the, the body and the spirit were distinctly separate. The body being evil didn't matter. The spirit was all that mattered. And my personhood dictates who I am. My body is irrelevant. Therefore, I can practice sexual immorality. It doesn't matter. That's why the Apostle Paul said to his generation, No, your body is the temple of the living God. Body and spirit are indivisibly entwined as we live on this earth. And we must not arbitrarily disconnect them as our culture is, or we are redefining identity in a way that is not biblical. And there are many among us who are buying into this so that they can redefine image so that it really doesn't matter all that much what you do with your body. It's who you are that matters. Beloved, the Bible teaches that who you are dictates your body. And your body, as defined by creation, dictates who you are. So we have this important caveat that imago Dei, the image of God, does not take shape through relationships. It precedes any relationship. I am who I am regardless of who I'm with. 
Who I'm with does not now shape who I am. Nor does it morph with shifting cultures. The shifting culture of time as in function. Designed in God's image precedes everything. Including either experience or function. Function and experience flow from God's formation of us. Not the other way around. Watch for this. You're being sucked into it. Young people are being sucked into this to lower their expectations of human identity to be identified by our brokenness as opposed to our wholeness in design by God. So the divine mandate. You have to look to the New Testament to really see this, but if you go to Ephesians chapter um, 4, and you look at verse 24, it gives us a great definition here of image and what we should be like in terms of the divine mandate. What does it mean to be in the image of God? It, it talk, it, Paul's writing to the Ephesians here about their conversion to Christianity. And he's saying that, that you are putting off the old self under layers of sin. And in verse 24, and to put on the new self... Created to be like God, notice that, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Big idea number one is this, we in our creation as image of God have the capacity to be and act like God. Christ being the exact representation or image of God and it is righteous and holy. God is righteous, God is holy, and part and parcel of the package of image in the divine mandate that's been given to us is we were made as well to be righteous and holy. That's why in conversion and coming to know Christ, we are being transformed, we are being renovated, we are being changed back into the wholeness of the image of God who is righteous and holy, and we too are called to be righteous and holy as image bearers of God. That's how we expand the glory of God throughout the earth. We are, we are by uh, virtue of being in the image of God, rational like God. We have language. We are unique in that in all of creation. We have language. We have creativity. We are, have holiness. We have immortality. We have love. We have self-awareness. We have mercy. We have justice. We have grace. We have uh, um, uh, we, we understand the nature of these, these uh, qualities. We live these out. These are uniquely given to humanity because of being in the image and likeness of God. What was marred by sin is renewed and restored in Christ. Listen to how Paul puts it to the, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being changed back into the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. That's the divine mandate. That's the spiritual mandate of our hearts and our lives. But this image, to be robustly presented, connects our personhood of the righteousness and holiness of God 
into the material when God says to them in verse 28, be blessed and be fruitful and fill the earth. Now this requires the connection of our spiritual aspect of the image of God with our physicality. To fill the earth and be fruitful requires an anatomical reality. That as part of the whole image package, God actually turns full face to his creation and blesses them with a gift and a function and responsibility. Now go and do what I have made you to be able to do. And I have, been, I, I have made you to be able to go and make disciples. Do you realize this is the first commission of humankind? Go and make disciples. And the context, the first and only context at the time for disciple making was one man and one woman to start making other disciples. That was the, the vision. This is the discipleship mandate. God as disciple maker. The Trinity counseled with its, itself and expanded its love to creation, to create. And invites now on the basis of that same model, the image and likeness of God, that people would, out of the abundance of their love, disciple make as well and fill the earth with the glory of God. That's why when God was describing Abraham in Genesis 18 and verse 19, he says, therefore I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. This is a tremendous responsibility, moms and dads, that God has made you to be primary disciple makers of your family and has chosen you to teach your children the ways of God. And then he goes on to say, the, uh, by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. In Malachi, uh, near the, at the very end of the Old Testament, it says there in Malachi 2.15, when describing why God created marriage in the first place, he says, has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his, and why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit, and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. You're on a mission to make disciples. Now, you might be saying to me this morning, okay, we're talking about marriage, but what about people who, are, who for no, reason, for no uh, um, uh, uh, fault of their own are childless? Or what about singles? Now, that takes in a whole lot of the population. What about them? Are they not included in all this? Well, let me ask you a question back. Was Jesus Christ single? Yes. Was he a disciple maker? Yes, par excellence. This mission of disciple making is not found only in marriage, but those who find themselves uh, in married, married but childless are, are to be involved in disciple making, helping out in the reality of raising people to know and love God, helping each other. What we, what we promised as a church to do here with the Brubays this morning was to, was to promise as a church family, singles, childless people, married people. What did we promise? We promised to be disciple makers of their children as well. That's the mandate. Singles uh, have, according to Paul, have more time on their hands to be disciple makers. This is a great mandate that's been given to all of us. Filling the nursery, by the way, with little potential disciples is very, very much at the heart of the purposes of God for you. So fill up that nursery at Calvary Baptist Church. 
You're making disciples. It's, a, it's the mandate of discipleship. God is a disciple maker. Phil, disciple making is the original design and purpose of humans. And marriage being the first. The intended union of a male and a female is what God blesses. Because it is the only one that has the potential for disciple making. Finally, there's the dominion mandate. And we've just got to wrap this up. I, I knew I wouldn't have time to, to really give this uh, uh, what it deserves. This is a big, big topic. All of these are big topics, but, but we need to talk about it because he says here, not, not only should you be fruitful and fill the earth, but you need to subdue it and rule over it. There's a dominion mandate that comes with the image of God. And Christians seem to understand the divine mandate, and they seem, we, we seem to be getting better to understand the discipleship mandate, but we don't understand the dominion mandate very well. The dominion mandate is a responsibility that God is sovereign over all of creation and he has made us vice regents of his creation. We are called upon to, as image bearers of God, to demonstrate the glory of God by taking care of his creation. And we have demonstrated from the beginning of time to be mess-ups in that. We're horrible at it. The flood comes along because of the chaotic state of the world. There's no way mankind had been a great steward of God's world. The place was disastrous. But the image and, and likeness of God that has been placed on us and is now being transformed by the work of Christ in us makes us leaders in stewardship of this earth. The word rule over here means we're to bring under control the things of God. We're to manage God's earth and his creatures for our food, for our pleasure, for our protection, for our provision. The creation doesn't rule over us, by the way. We are to rule over the creation. That's the proper stewardship model. I need to, again, it's broken in our world. There are attempts. You know, the fact that our broken world of godless people care about the ecology of the world is a symbol of the image of God in them. That's the only explanation. But unfortunately, politics and money and all kinds of wrong motives have crept into a very, very good and important thing to take care of God's world. Christians need to lead the way and show those who have marred it in politics and marred it in money and marred it in false teaching, we need to be those who are leaders in taking the dominion responsibility seriously by demonstrating to the world what it means to care for God's creation as we ought. And like everything else that God has called us to do, he works through the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to help us to know how to do that. So if you don't know how to do that, ask him. If you don't know what you should be doing with a plastic water bottle, ask the Lord. What should I be doing? Subdue means to domesticate, means to harness, means to utilize. Do you realize we were designed to have power over creation? When the God-man, Jesus Christ, came to live among us, he demonstrated to us what the image, the true image and likeness of Almighty God was. And he was able to speak to the the clouds, and they would stop raining. He was able to speak to the sea that was temp in tempest, and it would be calm. We were designed to be able to do that. Sin has taken it away from us. Now, I'm not sure how that all would have worked. 
Because I've been thinking about a guy who wanted to golf someday and another guy who wanted his garden watered right beside the golf course. One guy's wanting rain, the other guy doesn't want rain. Maybe we would have been able to call down just specific rain on our yard. I don't know how it was to work. But Jesus brought a break in from the age to come as he walked among us and showed us what the image of God really looks like and how it really functions. And we've lost that because of sin and self and all that buried under all of the, labor, uh, the, the, the layers of sinfulness. So, having said that, let's understand that we do have a responsibility to our planet. We do have a responsibility to creation. We do need to be leading edge on taking care of God's stuff. You know, when you lend somebody something you really care about, you know, think about this, something you made with your own hands, something that was really valuable to you, and you lent it to somebody, and you said, I want you to take care of it. There's a big expectation there. The living God has given us this beautiful earth and a beautiful creation, beautiful animals and fish and birds and all the wonderful things there are. And we are held responsible for being good stewards of it. So all of that's the image of God. Righteousness, disciple-making, and stewardship can't be divided that's the fullness of what the image of God is. The purpose of making beings in the image of God is to steward and expand the glory of God. How are you doing in that? How are you doing in the, the divine mandate of righteousness and holiness? How are you doing in the mandate of disciple making? How are you doing in the mandate of stewardship? Whose image is on you? The image of God shapes your thinking and your behavior no division, spirit and body, working in harmony to bring glory to God through His original design. Let's stop defining humanity by its brokenness and start defining humanity by its original plan. That's who God is calling us to. That's who Christ is transforming and shaping us to be. Let's model this well for the glory of God. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We love you. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us to model who we are in Christ Jesus, made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. To live a righteous and holy life. To passionately make disciples who would make disciples, who would bring glory to God to the ends of the earth. And to as vice regents take care of your wonderful creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Your creation models your handiwork. Oh God, I pray that we will not fail you in these matters. For Jesus' sake, amen. You know, the great tragedy of humanity is sin has messed us all up. But we were made special. We were made in the image and likeness of God, every human being. 
been ruined and marred by sin under layers and layers of sinfulness, but it is there. The image of God remains. And our world is confused and struggling, but disciples of Jesus Christ have no reason to be struggling or confused. We know who we are. And we are being renewed. We are being transformed. The image of God is being brought back to life through Jesus Christ. We were made with a capacity to be righteous. We were made to be disciple makers. We were made to steward this earth. And in Christ Jesus, he restores to us who we really are. We are disciples of Christ in the image and likeness of God, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a righteous and a holy life, to make disciples and to steward God's creation as his vice regents responsible to take care of what God owns. It's an awesome and great privilege to be a child of the living God. Yes, we are in the image of God. Let no one take that away from you. Dignity, value, awesomeness, what it means to be human, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank you so much for your truth to us. I pray that our hearts will be encouraged. We are not people who live in an identity crisis. We know who we are. We are who you say we are. We are made in the image of God, the image and likeness of God, male and female. Oh God, praise your name. We love you. We thank you for this truth. May we live it out, Lord. Help us to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, to live righteous lives, to make disciples, and to steward your property, oh God, for Jesus' sake. I pray, amen.